The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Book of Luke in chapter number nine, and uh, already in the book of Luke in chapter number nine, we have um, seen the Lord gather his disciples together. And uh, kind of a transitional time, if you may, in the Lord's earthly ministry. Uh, Prior to this time, Jesus is the one who's doing all of the preaching and all of the teaching, all of the works uh, and miracles that are being performed uh, for the most part. But now here, about midway or halfway through his earthly ministry, uh, the Lord is transitioning and, and now equipping his disciples with more and more opportunity and power to be able to accomplish his will and his work here. At the beginning of chapter number nine, we saw how he gave them authority and power to be able to cast out devils and, and to cure diseases, and he sent them out, of course, and, uh, and then we read on in that chapter, and it tells us how Herod heard about all of these things, about who Jesus was, and even inquired to who he might be, and, and some told him that, he was, uh, that Jesus was John the Baptist, and that was intriguing to, to Herod. After all, Herod's the one who beheaded John, and uh, so maybe that was a little uh, spooky for him to consider that John's come back from the dead to haunt him, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we understand that uh, the Bible tells us that Herod wanted to see these things that the Lord was able to do, mainly almost as a spectacle, we, I believe, to, to be like, hey, do that again, show me again how you performed that miracle. Then in verse number 10, of course, we read about how the apostles returned and, and they went around and, and we, we learned about the feeding of the 5,000 and how the Lord uh, provided that great miracle and uh, probably the most verifiable miracle uh, that was ever performed with the amount of people that was there as well. Then, in, of course, as we got into verse number 18, even last Sunday evening, uh, it says, and it came to pass as he was alone praying, his disciples were, hif- were with him, and he asked them, saying, whom say the people that I am? And they gave some explanations of who others had said that he was, but he asked pointedly, and he said, who do you say that I am? And of course, uh, Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And it says in verse number 21 that he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. That brings us to where we're at tonight in verse number 23, and we're going to read down through verse number 27, just a short period or portion of the scripture this evening. Uh, But I believe there's some powerful uh, teachings found in these few short verses. I believe that it can make an impact on our lives if we would allow it. And I believe that if we would ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and to uh, reveal his will to us and to help us to have a, a heart that would be open and moldable, mold, uh, moldable to, for, from him, uh, then I believe he would do so. I think sometimes we look for conferences and expect to get a recharge from them, maybe when the preacher's preaching, maybe as the revival times come and go, that we hope that the Lord would speak to our hearts. But I do hope that it's our prayer always, that as we come to church, whether it be on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or a Wednesday night, that we would come with a heart that said, Lord, speak to me, and Lord, reveal yourself to me, and, and, and show me your will for my life. And, and no doubt, I believe one of the, tonight would, could be one of those times if we would just ask him to do so. So before we even read the verses tonight, I hope that that would be your prayer on your heart, 
Lord, speak to me tonight as we speak from your word and learn from your word uh, what your will might be for us. But join me in reading verse number 23 in, in Luke chapter 9. And it says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is it a man, for what is a man, I'm sorry, advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself and be cast away? Uh, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his father's and of the holy, uh, and of the holy angels. Verse number 27 now, and as we close before we pray, but I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. And our Father, we do thank you tonight for this opportunity uh, to be in your house once again. We ask that you'd help us to hear from your word, giving the words to speak as I deliver your word tonight. Uh, God, help us as we uh, discuss these things found in this portion of scripture tonight to learn more about you from them to learn how we might be able to better serve you here on this earth because of it. And uh, Lord, that you might be honored and glorified, that your will might be accomplished. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, you'll remember this is taking place just after the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, the day after Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus would uh, speak to a group of individuals and he would proclaim himself to be the bread of life. I'd like you to take your Bibles and go over to the book of John real quick, and let's notice this in parallel. In John chapter number 6, and uh, we're going to begin in uh, verse number 41. Uh, John chapter 6 and verse number 41, we find that uh, Jesus has already fed the 5,000, and this is the following day, and this is taking place in a synagogue in Capernaum, uh, and notice what it says in verse number 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? So if we were to go back, we won't take time to read all, all these verses here tonight, but we would find that Jesus is having this discussion and he's doing his teaching here in the synagogue in Capernaum. And uh, he is explaining his work and his ways and his will. And we find that he says, I am the bread of life and, and uh, he, that has been sent down from heaven. And that's where we come to verse number 41, where these folks in the synagogue begin to question, how is it that he can say su such things? We know who his father and mother are. His father's that Joseph, that carpenter there, and, uh, and his, his wife Mary, and we know his parents. And how is it, does he think he, that he can say that uh, he is sent from heaven? And uh, Jesus continues to explain. It says in verse number 43, therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not against yourselves. And he gives some more explanation and some more teaching about himself, which again, um, it didn't necessarily set well with the Jews that were there that day. And notice verse number 52. The Jews therefore uh, strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Because he said, hey, if you'll eat of me, if you'll, if you'll partake of me, you'll, you'll, you'll never hunger. You'll receive what you need. And, of course, Jesus again goes on to explain even further in verse number 53. It says, then Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye, ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have uh, no life in you. Jump on down to verse number 60. Verse number 60, it says, Many therefore of his disciples, 
when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at, at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? Notice the progression that has taken place here. Here Jesus, just the day before, had fed upwards of more than likely at least 15,000 people. I mean, if, if, it, if it's just the men counted, we understand it was 5,000. But if every man that was there was married and had his wife with them, uh, it was 10,000. If they had any children, it could it, be 15,000. That's why we say upwards of 15, even the 25,000 people could have been there that day and fed from these five loaves and two fish. And we find that this is the very next day in a synagogue in Capernaum. What, where, what is a synagogue? It's like a house of worship, right? And, and uh, these are folks that are supposed to believe the prophecies of the Old Testament in which Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah right there. And Jesus is speaking of himself as the bread of life and those that were the Jews that were without, not necessarily his followers, not necessarily his disciples, they, they didn't accept it. They wouldn't accept who he said he was, that he had come from heaven. And they say, how could he say he's from heaven? And Jesus goes on to teach more and explain more. And they continue to murmur within themselves and ask questions about how in the world could he say that he is a, the bread of life and that we must eat of him and, and drink of his blood and such. And, and he goes on to explain a little further. And now it's not just those who weren't necessarily his followers questioning now it's his own followers. I don't know that necessarily this is the 12 apostles, but these are folks that were more than likely there the day before. They're disciples. These are people that have been where Jesus had been, heard him preach, seen him do miracles. And now as he's teaching this day, they have questions about, wow, I don't, I don't know if I can accept this. This is a hard saying. And Jesus himself knew that his disciples were murmuring at it and asks them a question, doth this offend you? The story continues on, and I'd like to draw your attention now to verse number 66 and 67. After Jesus finishes his, his teaching and after Jesus goes on to further explain what he has already declared to the, to the crowd there, notice what verse number 66 says. From that time... Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Now, no, no doubt some of those that were there that day weren't necessarily true believers. They were just following for the excitement. They were just maybe trying to see what Jesus would do next that would be so astonishing. Others of course, were true followers. They were true disciples. They had trusted the, the, the Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. But they weren't necessarily ready yet for the trial that such a life of following Jesus would have to offer. After all, consider Luke chapter 9 and verse number 22, just prior to this portion that we read tonight, and which we're studying out of tonight, where Jesus had just said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then said, who do you say that I am? And he says, don't share this with anyone else. But notice what he says would have to happen in verse number 22. The son of man, which is Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. That doesn't sound like a, a, a triumphant Victoria, victor, victory speech, right? 
doesn't sound like, hey, let's rally the troops and let's everybody get on board and, and let's do this thing and, and uh, keep on following me because we're going to have a, a, a crown and a throne one day. No, he says, actually, I'm going to die. And knowing what Jesus had promised, some weren't, fall, weren't true believers anyways, and they just left. They quit following him. But even some who had believed him to be the Messiah said, I don't know if I'm quite ready for all of that yet. But in the passage in Luke 9 that we've read tonight, in verses 23 through 27, I believe that we see Jesus give a challenge at this midway point of his ministry to maybe take some mid-course assessments amongst his followers and amongst his apostles' lives. He gives them specifically, I believe, three areas that they should consider. And can I say tonight, before we go any further, that there is a difference between a mere follower of Jesus and a true disciple of Jesus. Discipleship requires that one not be attached to the world, to its values, or even to the world's acceptance. And so I'd like to take a few moments tonight and notice through verses 23 through 27 an assessment of discipleship. An assessment of discipleship. And number one tonight, I want you to look with me and consider this. Notice the calculation of discipleship in verses 23 and 24. Number one, the calculation of discipleship. Verse number 23, it says, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Of course, we understand that when we accept Christ as our Savior, that makes us part of the family of God. But outside of salvation, how does one know that they are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, here I believe Jesus gives us a test. Consider with me the conditions of discipleship spoken of in verse number 23 there. Notice with me again, he says, He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This begins with an examination of whether or not the following qualities are present in one's life. First off, he says, there ought to be, as we consider the condition of a discipleship, there ought to be a denial of self. Verse number 23 again. If any man will come after me, let him do what, church? Deny himself. The problem in many places is the embrace of self-fulfillment as the message instead of self-denial as the message. Many a church and many an organization and many a, a gathering wants to be fulfilled and wants to be, be given what they are going to get. And that's why we have more folks that sit in the pews and take than what they, more than what they give. That's why the crowds on Sunday mornings are much larger than the visitation times on Thursday nights. That's why the people that come to, uh, to the, just the main services are much greater than those who would come to a monthly prayer meeting. Because our, in our world today, we are more consumed and we are more concerned with what can I get from church than what can I do for the Lord in His church. But Jesus said the true test of a disciple the true conditions of a disciple is a denial of self. God calls us to deny self and to love his purposes. Someone once wrote that 
the example of false theology in evangelical churches today is found by the following quote. And here's the quote. Classic theology has erred in its insistence that theology be God-centered and not man-centered, end quote. Now, how anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ or a study or a, a student, I should say, that's a better terminology to use, a student of his word, how can anyone who claims to be such consider that theology could be anything other than God-centered? How could we think that theology at any point, at any time, in any way, should be man-centered? This world is not about me. My life is not about me. My life as a believer, my life as a child of God, ought to be fully and totally devoted to the will of the Lord and what He wants to accomplish through me. To thank the fact that the God of all the universe wants to partner with me. He wants to use me to accomplish His will. But yet I'm so stuck on what I want and what I want to accomplish and what seems best for me and not willing to deny myself. Jesus says, hey, here's the conditions of discipleship. And if we're truly a disciple of the Lord, we must understand that there's going to be uh, this, uh, this quality of denial of self. Consider, as we spoke of it this morning even, and referenced again in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. In verse number 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is what, church? A huge sacrifice, right? Just reasonable service. That's all it is. That's just like getting up and this is just what I'm supposed to do. This isn't a big deal to me. This is just my reasonable service to, to, to present myself a living sacrifice to God. This isn't something audacious. This isn't something crazy. This isn't something that God has gone totally out of his mind to think that I would do. It's just simply my reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Qualities that are present in one's life, if if they're going to meet the conditions of discipleship, is going to be first and foremost the denial of self. But notice verse number 23 also goes on to say this, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Conditions of discipleship include denial of self, but also the identification with the cross. Paul wrote to the Galatian believers in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which now I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The background of that verse and what Paul is trying to get across to the Galatian believers is clear. It's a picture here. It's a Roman picture of a criminal sentence to die for a heinous crime. Before the crucifixion of that criminal, that criminal would have to carry their cross their own cross, to the place of their own execution. We, of course, read and see how Jesus Christ himself endured such a thing during his death as well. But my friends, tonight I'm here to tell you that the bearing of a cross was a public display of submission to the state's authority. 
The Roman government said, you have broken our laws and you have committed some heinous crime and therefore we're going to make a public example out of you. And by the way, while you bear your cross, it is proof that we have caused you and made you to submit yourself to us. And as that criminal carried their cross down that road, all the way to their execution, it was a public display that Rome had superiority over that one's life. And my friends, the fundamental idea of submitting to, author, to the authority of another is exactly what God, Jesus is trying to get across here tonight. And the submitting to the authority of another, in this case, the authority of God Almighty himself, is what Jesus is trying to explain is the characteristic of a true disciple. The conditions of discipleship is that that I would deny myself, that I no longer live unto myself, but unto the will of God, that I will carry and pick up my cross daily. That is that daily submission to God himself. C.H. Spurgeon said, I have now con uh, 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 concentrated all my prayers into one. And that one prayer is this, that I may die to self and live wholly to him. This submitting to God and following Jesus means walking a road of rejection. The imagery of, is even common within the Jewish setting as well. Consider that Jesus would, would speak in Luke 14 and verses 26 and 27. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm here to tell you tonight, my friends, that the characteristics, the, uh, the, the, the conditions of true discipleship involve a denial of self. That I am not seeking my own will, that I am not seeking my own desires, but I am striving to submit myself to the will of God daily. It is taking up my cross daily. That is a picture of my submission to God. And it will ultimately mean that sometimes I will experience rejection. Yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But thirdly, my friends, we find that verse number 23 says that the conditions of discipleship also include following Christ. Take up, my, his, take up his cross daily, and notice what he says at the last part of verse number 23. And follow me. I'm afraid that we can, we can deny ourselves of our own wants and desires. We can submit ourselves unto the authority of others. But it's all for naught unless it's done to the right one. I can deny myself of what I want for my family's sake. Is there anything wrong with that necessarily? Not necessarily. I can even submit myself under the authority of a human government, a boss, or whatever the case might be. But that doesn't make me a disciple. These things all in one, culminating in the fact that I am following Jesus, is what makes me a disciple. We read in John 12 and verse number 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. 
To follow Christ means to die to self. We've seen not, not only tonight, first off, as we ca- the calculation of discipleship, these conditions of discipleship, but consider with me in verse number 24, the clarification of discipleship. Verse number 24, Jesus said, and whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever, shall, whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Can I say, as Jesus is trying to clarify what it means to be a disciple, he starts off with a myth. He starts off with the myth of self-preservation. Notice the verse of number 24 again where he says, if you'll save your life, you'll actually lose it. Many a times we are not willing to just fully give in and give up to the Lord. We're not willing to dive headfirst into his will because we're trying to hold back. We don't want to, we, we're afraid of where the Lord might take us. We're afraid of what the Lord might want us to do. And we say, well, Lord, I'm, I don't know that I'm ready to give in. I'm not ready, I'm not ready to give up my will yet because I, I, don't want to, I don't want to just, I, I don't want to find myself in a place where I don't know that I'd be comfortable in. And what we think we're doing is preserving our life. But Jesus says that's simply a myth, my friends. Mark chapter 8, verses 35 through 36, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If one wishes to control his life, it will ultimately be lost because of his refusal to submit to God's way. But notice as he clarifies discipleship here that he speaks of the blessing when we totally trust him. The latter part of verse number 24 but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. The apostles and, and, uh, and, and many others literally fulfilled this passage. According to tradition, almost every single one of the apostles died as a martyr for the cause of Christ. Many more have figuratively given their lives and the comforts of this world to Christ for his sake. Luke 17, verse number 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Jesus has come to his disciples, he's fed the 5,000, and And, of course, we understand what has taken place, even though necessarily Luke doesn't record it here. We've already discussed from John how the very next day in the synagogue in Capernaum, he's declaring who he is. He's the bread of life, that he is the way of salvation. And many won't believe it. Even some of his followers turned and walked away from him. And now Jesus is saying to those that are left, if you'll come after me, deny yourself. He's asking for an assessment of discipleship. And the first assessment that he asked for involved the calculation of discipleship. But the second assessment, number two tonight, I want you to notice, involved the concern of life. Notice verse number 25. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? The question that we could truly ask ourselves as we assess where we are as disciples of Christ is what is my attitude towards worldly pursuits? What is my attitude towards the things of this world? My friends, 
Because if we don't answer it in a biblical viewpoint, we are destined for a perilous pursuit. Notice verse number 25 again. For what is a man advantaged if he gained the whole world? What is he advantaged if he gained the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? See, the risk is greater to holding on to one's life than it ever is if we were to give our life over to Christ and for the sake of, his, uh, of God. Luke chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. If all we live for are the things of this world, we are setting ourselves up for a complete and utter failure. Because these things of earth only are temporal. But the things we do for God are everlasting. It's a tragic problem, truly, as we consider what verse number 25 says. To gain the whole world, yet lose one's life. This idea is parallel to what Jesus turned down in his second temptation. We've studied it already during this, the, the, during this series, but I'll remind you of Luke 4, verses 5 through 7. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, uh, it all shall be thine. Matthew 16 and verse number 26, For what is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? My friends, we have to come to the assessment of what is my concern with this current life. If we are faced with the, uh, with the decision of following what we believe might be the Lord's will, or stockpiling for ourselves an advantage here on this earth, as a believer, it should not even be a question. We ought to automatically default to the will of God. Jesus is saying, sadly, this isn't the case for some. And as he's speaking to his apostles and those that are still there with him, he says, here, let's take an assessment of our discipleship. As we consider what it means to be a disciple and calculate what it means to be a disciple, Am I willing to uh, deny myself? Do I identify, identify with the cross? Do, am I following Christ? But also as I take this assessment, what is my concern for this life? Am I wrapped up in worldly pleasures and worldly pursuits? But the last assessment, it might be honestly the most important assessment. Because number three, as we look at verses 26 and 27, he speaks of assessing the certainty of eternity. The certainty of eternity. What about eternity? Verse number 26. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of, of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. When he shall come in his own glory and in his father's and in the holy, uh, and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth. There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. He speaks of a promised punishment in verse number 26 and 
he reveals here that there is a punishment that will come for those who just refuse the Lord's message. He says there's a choice to be made. Some would choose to reject Christ. Verse number 26, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. To be ashamed of Christ's words is another way of saying that someone has rejected the will and the ways of Christ. This isn't, this isn't necessarily speaking of someone, and we probably all have been in those positions, where we've been in a group with people, maybe at our workplace at work, uh, uh, on break and sitting across the table from a coworker. Maybe it's uh, on a public transportation, or maybe we're standing in line at an amusement park or something along those lines, and we just kind of feel impressed maybe to speak to the, uh, the individual next to us about the Lord, but sometimes we get a little nervous, and we say, man, I don't want them to think I'm a crazy wacko, one of these Jesus freak people, right? And, and, uh, and so we kind of have that inward battle on what I'm going to do and whether, I'm not gonna, whether or not I'm going to share uh, about my Savior with this person, and I think we've all probably been there, unfortunately, where we didn't do what we felt the Lord wanted us to do. This isn't the situation Jesus is speaking of. This isn't where he says, hey, you were ashamed of me and didn't say it, and so you've lost yourself. That's not by any means what he is saying here. What he is saying is when one is ashamed of the words of Christ, or another way of expressing, rejecting the teachings of Christ and refusing to confess him publicly. Bearing one's cross involves a public confession of Jesus and an acceptance of his authority, but it doesn't mean that the person is always a perfect witness uh, and that he's always going to do what the Lord wants him to do in those areas necessarily. For example, do you believe Peter was saved? Do you believe that he was a true disciple? Did he not deny the Lord as well though? He did. And he finally got it right, and he asked for forgiveness and repented and acknowledged who Jesus was. So there's a promised punishment for those who choose the choice of rejecting Christ. And with that punishment comes the judgment of rejecting Christ. The phrase, the Son of Man here, of course, as we understand, is speaking and referring to Jesus. And when tied to Jesus' coming in glory, this indicates his judging authority. The idea that is being communicated here is this, that the Lord and his followers will ultimately be vindicated and exalted. For Je- and so for Jesus to be ashamed of someone is for Jesus to reject that person. So here's the picture. Someone had an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. And they say, I don't, know, I don't believe I need him. What did they just do? Rejected Christ. When he comes... And that person stands before Jesus who had, just, who had previously reject, rejected him. Jesus will not say, welcome home, child. He will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And this is what is being spoken of. Luke 12 and verses 8 and 9. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. So as we consider the certainty of eternity, we understand that there is a promised punishment for those who would reject Christ. But consider the promised reward for those who accept him in verse number 27. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. There were three men assembled that day who would see the kingdom of God. 
all three of the, the synoptic gospels, in fact. Uh, uh, this, in all three of them, they, this promise occurs immediately prior to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Read on into the next verse, verse number 28. And it came to pass about an eighth day after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James, and went up into the mountain to pray. Luke uh, 9, 34 says, while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And it, I believe that what he's saying here as he's the, speaking to these, to these men, he's saying, when he said that, uh, whosoever, uh, I'm sorry, I tell you the truth, that there are some, some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. When they saw Jesus Christ transfigured and heard about and seen all these things take place, uh, they saw the kingdom of God at hand before they ever tasted death. Furthermore, though, the word kingdom has the meaning of royal splendor. And therefore, it would be natural to interpret that it's speaking of those men who would be there in the presence of the transfiguration. Some of the disciples, meaning Peter, James, and John, would witness this event only days later and see this come to fruition. As I close tonight, I want to ask this question. Just as the men and the women that Jesus was speaking to in this day had the promise of his protection, of his provision, of his peace, as they had dedicated themselves and their lives as a disciple of Christ. We too, today, have the promise of Jesus Christ. We will stand in his presence one day. We will see our Lord and Savior face to face. And oh, that will be glory. Glory to the end. But until then, as we still traverse this sin-cursed world, the questions that we need to ask ourselves, the assessment that I should take tonight, and the assessment that I would encourage you to take tonight, involves whether or not I am truly a disciple. Am I just playing the game? I'm not, I'm not necessarily challenging your salvation today. Now listen, if you have any doubts, I would rather you get it settled tonight before it is eternally too late. I'm not here to try to challenge you and try to, to bend your arm or twist your arm so that we have the very first salvation in Mountain Vista in, the first, in this new year. That's not what I'm here for. It's more important to, than that tonight, my friends. If there is any questions, if there is any doubts, don't belabor it any longer. Don't, don't walk around with that burden in your, in your heart any longer. Come to the Lord and, and accept Him as your personal Savior today. But that's not what I'm here necessarily asking. I am asking tonight, have I, have you, committed our lives as true disciples? Or am I just one who shows up on Sundays and puts on a good front? Am I just one who just kind of goes through the motions? Am I one that, that has the facade and externally looks like I would be, but am I truly, am I inwardly, am I devoted as a disciple of Christ? Well, how do I know that? Well, the assessment that was given to the followers of Jesus was this. 
Am I denying, am I living a life denying myself? Am I, am I, uh, am I associating my life with the cross? Am I accepting that? Am I following Jesus? Calculate the cost of discipleship. Am I a true disciple? What am I pursuing more? The things of this world or the will of God? And lastly, am I prepared for his coming? Am I prepared for his coming? Yes, as far as salvation is concerned. But when he comes, is he going to find me faithful? Or would he find me idle? Have you ever had a, a time maybe in your workplace where you didn't think anybody else was around and you said, man, I've been working hard all this time and you kind of lean back in the chair, kick your feet up on the desk maybe, or if it's around these days, you pull out your phone and surf Facebook or whatever. Maybe if it was back in the day, you just found yourself leaning and kind of looking off into the distance and kind of not even aware of what's going around, uh, 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 going on. And I mean, you had been working hard. You've been working your tail off just up until that point. You're just taking a little, uh, a few, 30-second break, right? And then out of nowhere, the boss comes around the corner. What are you doing? You got time to lean. You've got time to clean. Find yourself something. You know, oh, you rush. You hurry. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I, I was, it's just a small break. I promise. I was. You know, nobody wants to be found not completing the task they've been assigned, right? Not if they take ownership and pride in their work. It's been said like this that God's business is the greatest business in all the world. If he's left us here, he's left us here with a goal and an opportunity to accomplish his will and work right here on this earth. When he comes, will he find us faithful? Or will he find us idle? That's what I mean by am I prepared for his coming? I think a lot of times we find ourselves in this attitude of, well, I believe Jesus can return at any moment, but it's not going to be now. Let's be honest with ourselves, right? The return of Christ, his, his rapture is imminent. But it's not going to be today. But it could be, my friends. Let us work for the night is coming. Am I a disciple? Or am I just putting forth a facade? I'd rather spend my life for the cause of Christ than to lose it for anything else that's going to burn up one day. Would you stand your feet with me, please, with heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight? I want to ask the first question, of course, and that is, how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved, and I know I'm on my way to heaven, and if I died right now, I'd stand before my God, and I would enter into His presence for all of eternity in heaven, can I rejoice with you over that fact? Just slip your hand up and right back down. Hands all across this auditorium. I praise God for that. You can put your hands down. I wonder, would there be someone here, to be honest, and just say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And We've really spoken about being a disciple of Christ and what that means after our salvation tonight. But of course, we understand that none of that can take place until after we've truly trusted Him as our Savior. So would there be anyone here who would say, Pastor, if I die tonight, I'm not sure that heaven's my home. 
Would you just allow me the opportunity to pray for you tonight? Just slip your hand up and right back down. Anybody like that? I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. Then this last question is truly the, the invitation in of itself, the thrust and the, and the goal of the message, and that is, am I a disciple? When it comes to my life, do I deny myself for the, for, for the, the, the cause of Christ, or am I, more, am I more concerned with my wants and my desires than the things of God? Am I identifying with the cross? The rejection of the cross, the fact of the, the cross being a, an icon of submission. Am I submitting my life to my Lord's will? Am I truly following Jesus? Or am I just inviting him along on my journey? When we consider the fact of the things of this life, what matters most? What I have now and what I can earn now and what I can accomplish now here that's just temporal in this world setting? Or am I more concerned with the will of God and the things He can do through me? What about that eternity? As we know that it is true that we will spend forever with Him. And He's coming again. And when He comes, how is He going to find us? Will he find us faithful? Will he find us serving him? Not trying to earn our way to heaven. But folks, that's not what we've talked about tonight at all. But out of a heart that is responding in love to his love. Saying, Lord, here's what I'm doing. I'm serving you because I love you. I'm serving you because I have the same heart that you have. I'm serving you because my desires are your desires. Would he find us faithful? I wonder who here tonight would say, Pastor, honestly, I don't know that I ha if I were to take that assessment and to be real, be honest about this assessment of discipleship, that I would be able to pass. So, Pastor, pray for me and pray with me that as I yield to the Holy Spirit, as I commit my life to the Lord in His ways, that with the Lord's help, I am truly truly going to strive to meet these qualifications that the Lord has laid out as the test of true discipleship. My hand's up tonight. Could, you, could I pray with you also? Hands all across this auditorium. If you're able, I would encourage you to come to the altar tonight and give that promise to the Lord and ask for his help and equipping to do so. If you're unable to kneel right there in your seat, I hope that you would call out to the Lord, give him your heart tonight and say, Lord, hear is my life. Use it for your honor and for your glory. Our Father, we thank you for this evening and for all that you do for us. Help us now, God, to, to commit and submit to your will. And uh, Lord, have your will and your way in this invitation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music